The bottom line is, what men want is not really what they want, and what women want is not really what they want. We have to begin with a very basic fact. Don't want to shock anybody up front, but men and women are different. Yes, it's really true. It's hard for that to get through to the guys and to the gals, that we're different. The XY and the XX chromosome, they're different. And just to get you in the mood to show some of the real differences between men and women, a man will pay $2 for an item he wants. A woman will pay a dollar for a $2 item she doesn't want. A woman worries about the future and she gets a husband. A man never worries about the future until he gets a wife. A successful man is one who makes more money than his wife can spend, and a successful woman is one who finds such a man. <laughs> to be happy with a man, you must understand him and, and love him a little. Understand him a lot and love him a little. To be happy with a woman, you must love her a lot and not try to understand her at all. <laughs> there are two times when a man doesn't understand a woman, before marriage and after marriage. Any married man should forget his mistakes. There's no use in two people remembering the same thing. A woman marries a man expecting he will change, but he doesn't. A man marries a woman expected that she won't change, but she does. And the best one, a woman has the last word in any argument. Anything a man says after that is the beginning of a new argument. <laughs> so men and women are different and they get married. And then somehow in the process, the man or the woman does not understand that God has invented marriage, we forget that. God has given us sex, we forget that. And we have the idea now that we're married, that everything is gonna be wonderful when we haven't taken the time or the interest to understand God's requirement, God's philosophy, God's instructions for a marriage so a marriage will soar and grow, become increasingly exciting. We forget that. God gave it to us, and we just say, I do, and I will, and boy, that's basically all that it is. What if you wanted to be a quarterback for the University of Texas? And the last word was, they needed one. <laughs> what would it take? You'd have to be an athlete. You'd have to be trained. You'd have to be enrolled. You'd have to have some experience. And you'd have to have the passion to do it. 
to be quarterback for the University of Texas or quarterback or play anywhere, anywhere, anyway. Everything we do, what if you wanted to be, I want to be CNO, CEO of AT&T. Well, okay, just slip you in there and have at it. What would it take? Ladies and gentlemen, for every significant ingredient position in life, it takes training, understanding, experience, and you'd better know the job description and be able to live up to the job description. You can summarize the job description for a man. We dealt with this two weeks ago. If you miss it, guys, go back and listen. The job description of man can be summarized biblically in two words. A man is to lead, be the head, and a man is to love. We're to lead and we're to love. And then we come to the job description for a woman, and let's just look at that clearly as we look at the book of Ephesians. You find Ephesians 5 and 1 Peter 3. By the way, if you didn't bring a Bible, look in the rack in front of you. There's a Bible. I'm reading from the NIV. That's the New American Standard of the Pew, but you'll be able to follow. Turn to the book of Ephesians. And you can flip your hand over there if you want to, to 1 Peter chapter 3. There's the two primarily New Testament instructions that gives clear, clear directions of how to wife and how to husband. So we're going to talk about how to wife primarily, but you can't separate them. Now let me show you. Many people look at the Ephesians passage and they immediately jump in there to Ephesians chapter number five, and they go to verse 22. It says, wives, submit yourselves. But they do not read the verses that precede it. You see, in understanding the Bible, you have to understand it in context. In other words, in what is going on. And Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, beginning with verse 15. Look at it. Ephesians 5, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Did you get that? Is there more a relevant word for us right now in our moment in history to say the days are evil? In the last 15 months, in Harris County, there have been a 149 murders by criminals on parole. Let me say that again. In Harris County, does everybody know where that is? In the past 15 months, there's been 149 murders by criminals on parole. Right now in the city of Houston, Harris County, about 750 people have been murdered so far this year. They're expecting the number to be 1,000. So many of them were by criminals 
who are on parole. How do criminals get parole now? We look at our district attorney. She points to the judges, and the judges have appointed magistrates unelected, and people go before them, criminals, and either they unwilling to make bond or some minimal bond is thing, and they're right back on the streets in our area of this world. That's where we are. The days are evil, the Bible tells us. What happened at Astro World? Unbelievable. What, 50 or 60,000 people? went to hear a demonic word. I asked someone to look on the internet for me and let me see some of the lyrics that were being stated. Don't do it. You've never heard such filth, anger, hatred, evil, gutter talk, Blast it out, blast it out, blast it out, blast it out. And thousands come. Awaken. These are evil days. We have deep sympathy for those nine who've already lost their life. Others, I understand, are in critical condition. You want to see evil in action? You don't have to look around or drive very far from where we all live at this evil moment in history. The days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Wouldn't it be terrific if in this moment of evil, as in this moment of evil, if we knew what God was up to, what God's will is for your life and for my life, he brought us into existence. He gave us life. He was a co-creator with your mother and your daddy and my mother and my daddy. And now, wouldn't it be great to see, I want to know God's will, God's plan for me, for you, for wherever we are at this moment. And then he goes on, he begins to speak truth. He says, do not get drunk with wine. It leads to debauchery. I wonder how many crimes have been committed, how many unwanted pregnancies have taken place, how much brutality has taken place in our culture because people got drunk. How many people killed by automobile? You take the drunkenness out of society and you have a whole different culture right there up front. Is the Bible accurate, ladies and gentlemen? People say, boy, I don't understand a lot of that. The problem I have is that which I do understand and you do understand. This is our world. And then he goes on and said, instead, this is the alternative, be filled with the Spirit. Hold that phrase. If we are going to have marriages, and now all of this was a prelude to marriage. It seems like marriage, that first institution God established in the garden, is the foundation for life. 
It is the foundation of having a home, a God-given relationship that permeates everything in our society. All the evil we're seeing, all that we're undergoing, all the apprehension we have about those we've elected to leadership, it all goes back to the family. It all goes back to marriage. And then he tells us exactly the role of a husband and exactly the role of a wife. And, and after talking to husbands two weeks ago, a lot of men have said to me, well, I'm going to try harder. Guys, you're going to fail. You're not going to get there meeting God's prescription for a husband by trying harder. It doesn't work like that. The genius of it is found in this little phrase, be filled with the Spirit. In other words, it's like the quarterback who wanted to play. It's like the person who wanted to be a CEO. What does it take? What does it take for men and women to fulfill their role in marriage and to have homes and families that permeate the society with the truth of God lived out in Jesus Christ? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's interesting, that little phrase. It is in present passive imperative. Oh, what is that? Be filled, present passive imperative. Imperative means be filled the Spirit is a command. Nothing else you find here is in the imperative sense. It is a command. This is what we have to do. This is how we have to live. It's the genius of how we can perform in life and especially in the most important institution, which is marriage. Be filled with the Spirit. It's an imperative, but it's passive. It's not active. It's a command, but it's passive. What does that mean? It means when we see there is somebody who is filled with the Spirit, that my Bible teacher is filled with the Spirit. No, biblically, that is inaccurate because to be filled is passive. It means simply that you and I are filled with the Spirit when we say to the Lord, I'm available for your filling. It's availability of being filled with the Spirit. In other words, some of us can't be filled with the Spirit and the power of God to know the steps and will and the wisdom of God because we're already full of ourselves. We're already full of our Spirit. Even though we receive Christ, we get the fullness of the Spirit there in Romans chapter 8, but then there is that imperative that I say, Lord, I'm available for you. I'm a Christian, and I'm available for your filling, you're in filling of the Holy Spirit. And it is in the present tense. That means I'm filled now, and I'm filled now, and I'm filled now. It's ongoing filling because we have leaked in the process. It's not a glass half full, as I have preached it, unfortunately, not biblically, but it's a ongoing process of availability. Then all of a sudden, we have the ability, guess what? to fulfill the assignment, the position that God has given us as a husband and as a wife. And by the way, this filling of the Spirit, we say, well, it's like a sailboat, and the wind blows and propels that boat forward. That's not good physics. 
What happens in a sailboat, the wind comes and pushes and fills the sail, and there's a vacuum that's created, and actually, the sailboat is not pushed by the wind, it is pulled by the vacuum as it moves forward. Evidently, God knew high school physics, right? So the Holy Spirit, it doesn't push us. It comes and fills us, and then we are moved forward and have the capacity and the capability of living up to your job assignment and my job assignment as a husband or as a wife. Now, we're ready to be specific. We're ready to get in the program. Not, I'm going to try, I'm going to promise, and oh, oh, no, no, no. Now we have the ability to meet the assignment which God has given us to everybody who has entered into holy matrimony that sacred, wonderful thing that God has given us. Now, to the wives, let's look at Ephesians, what it says. It says, submit, but wait, look at verse 21. Before we get to the wives, look at verse 21. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. All right, read it carefully. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, we've got that. Availability imperative, a command, ongoing. And now he tells us, what are marks? How do you know whether you're filled? How do you know where somebody's filled with the Spirit? He goes on, he says, speaking, you speak to people. Ladies and gentlemen, it's all right to smile and speak to somebody. It doesn't hurt, it's painless. We speak, that's a mark. And we sing, it can be music or music of our heart or our words. We sing, we, we have that freedom in us. We sing, we spank, and then we have an attitude of thanksgiving. Boy, don't you love, boy, the gratitude. Gratitude, thank you, thank you to, to those we love and those, the attitude. and then finally it says, the, third, the fourth mark is we submit to one another. We haven't got to the job describing for a man or woman yet. We submit. And that means, I've been over this a thousand times, but we have to get it to live it out, empowered, enabled by the Spirit. We have to position ourselves under, gentlemen, our wives. Wives have to position themselves under their husband. That's what the word submit. So it's a mutual submission. And then Paul goes on and talks about relationships. And the first one is marriage, husband, wife, and then parents and children, and then employers and employees, and it's all based on everybody positioning themselves under in a posture of submission. Then he begins off and he gives instruction to the wives. And look what it says. It says in verse 12, wives, submit yourself to your own husband as you do to the Lord. Now, in the original translation, maybe some of your Bible, do you see the word submit is in italics? That means it's not in the original. So to read this, literally what he's saying, he says, wives, to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. The word submit is not there because he's already said in the preceding verse that all of us should be in a submissive posture. See, everybody is to be. And then he says, as unto the Lord. 
Then he gives own instructions. He said, for the husband is the head, that's the leader of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is a savior. And now as the Lord submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands. Boy, here's a big one, ladies, in everything. Whoa, in everything. And it's the way that submission is made to the church. How did you and I get related in Jesus Christ to the church? Did Jesus Christ come and say, I've got you, submit to me? No, we become a Christian by bowing the knee. We become a Christian by being submit ourselves voluntarily, led by the Spirit to Christ. And so this should be a easy, voluntary thing as we are related to church. So, well, I don't like the word submit. Read in Luke chapter 51. This is when, you remember, Jesus went to the temple and he was going back home and it says he submitted himself to Mary and Joseph. Whoa. Jesus, divine, God wrapped up in human flesh, submitted himself to a simple carpenter and a very, very young woman. You mean God submitted to common servant people like that? Is that a little thing? No, it's a part of being submissive. And it's a joyful thing. It's part of the job description that is here. We Submit. Wives, let me tell you something. Personal experience. I was married for 50 plus years. Joe Beth and I had, I don't know, maybe a hundred different pretty big decisions we made about children, many, many things, typical in a marriage of that length. About 50 of those decisions, no problem. We agreed. About Oh, I don't know, another 45 of those decisions we had to discuss and pray and think and, and deal with things, yeah. But all of my marriage of 50 years, there were four decisions in which there was a tie. She was against and I was for. Only four times in 50 years. At that moment, she submitted to my leadership. She submitted to my leadership. It was a tie vote. Do you know what those four decisions were? It's the four times I moved from one church to another church. She never felt that God was in the move that I knew God was leading us to make. Not a single time. And she yielded to that. That's big. That's big. We came here Ed was a senior in high school. Cliff was starting to school. Ben was just beginning in high school. Let me tell you, it was a tough time. God's not in it, she felt. I did. She submitted. Now, now that, and I didn't want to be the one who made the call. You see, that's an overwhelming assignment, gentlemen, we have to be accountable to God when there's a tie vote. And then the wife needs to submit at that time, and that's the only time there's any sense of superiority, and I would glad have lateral that away and said, hey, it's your call, baby. I don't want to make this call. See, submission 
Both are trying to outsubmit the other. That's a part of the genius of God's plan in all leadership. What about Jesus? How did he become the greatest leader the world has ever known? He's told his apostles, he that would be great among you, let him become the servant of everybody else. He came as a servant. He submitted himself. He submitted himself. The mark of leadership, submit, submit, submit. And so we see this is not a tough assignment. And then he goes over in submission, and we read in 1 Peter, and he still gives instructions, verse Peter chapter 3, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. And he's talking about a shepherd and sheep in the preceding verses. He said, as sheep submit themselves to the shepherd, you think it is tragic that sheep have to present themselves and submit themselves to the shepherd? Sheep wouldn't last any time out in the wild. They have no way to protect themselves. Sheep may be among the dumbest animals on this earth. Check me out. But they submit to the shepherd. He said in the same way, chapter 3, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husband. Not to any male, to your own husband. And then what is the result of that? If any of them do not believe the word, they're not a Christian. They may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. Ladies, the most powerful thing you can witness to your husband without words is they see the life you live. You see that you want to have a home that's built on mutual submission by male and female. And then he goes on and says, behavior of the wives, when they see, the husband sees the wife, purity, sincerity, reverence in your lives, respect for God, faithfulness and worship in your lives. And your beauty should not be from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles, wearing of gold jewelry, fine clothes. Rather, it should be the inner self, the unfaded beauty of a gentle, quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. You say, well, my nature is not general quiet. No, no, no. It doesn't mean your personality. You can be very extroverted. You can move out in certain areas. But it is that inner beauty that lasts. And all of a sudden, this is a tremendous testimony to your husband. We're talking about genuine submission. And husbands have a role here too as well. A very, very big role always in all of this. But the wife is to live up to her role. The husband to live up to his role, regardless of one doesn't quite measure up to the other. And by measuring up and living out that role, you begin to see the ingredients God had planned for your wife and the ingredients God had planned for your husband. It happens every time. Uh, James Dobson tells with the experience he got a letter from a woman and she was talking about the husband she once lived with. He was always beating her over the head with the Bible. Oh yeah, this guy was a Christian and he said, you're not living up to the admonition that you're under my authority. You are to submit myself to you. And he was always writing lists to his wife about what she should do, what she didn't do, what she should do, what she didn't. He was writing all these lists. 
It was so hard. He was so legalistic, so super pious. He died. She, in a period of time in the church, found a wonderful Christian man. They fell in love. They got married. In the relationship, he was everything a husband's supposed to be, a leader and a lover. And one day she was looking over some things and she saw those old lists that her super pietistic husband had written out as to what she should do and what she shouldn't do. And she started to read those lists. It made her angry and she went to throw them away and then she looked at them again and she said, you know, I'm now doing all of these things that my former husband demanded I'm doing it because I've married a man who leads and loves me. You see how it works, folks? This isn't a suggestion or an idea. Boy, I wish I'd have thought of that. It's not even a how-to manual. It is a clear instruction as to how we are then to live as a husband and as a wife. And then the other thing, job description of the wife, is found in the last verse of Ephesians chapter 5. And that is, the wife must respect her husband. Respect, honor, submit, respect, honor. And this moves, believe it or not, into the sexual area of marriage. Oh, yeah. Now, ladies, I want to tell you something you need to understand. Sex to your husband is more important than you can imagine. Did you hear that, ladies? Not all, but 99.9% physical intimacy to your husband is more important to him than anything you can imagine. Number two, physical intimacy to your husband is almost equated in his mind with love, whether you love me or not. Listen, ladies. Physical intimacy with your husband really has a great deal to do with his identity as to who he is. And when wives use sex to bribe, manipulate, reward, that marriage is in trouble. So here's what happens. Flip it over a little bit, and the wife at the same time must not tolerate abuse and not, must not be led into sin. If abuse is there, call the police, leave. Don't let the husband lead you into sin. That's not what is intended here. But understand the beauty of intimacy. We've already gone over time and time again what happens in sexual intimacy. It is a magnificent thing. It is a holy thing. It is a sacred thing. And here's something else. Generally, men do not ask for permission to be intimate. Have you noticed that, guys? We send signals. Wives, wake up. 
Look for those signals. Understand. May a look, an attitude, a look for those signals. Oh, yeah. And it doesn't mean that, well, just be communicate. Say, you know, I want to be with you. I want to love you. But, you know, I've had this and that and the other. And what about tomorrow night? Let's, let's have a date. Let's plan it. Generally speaking, women are romantic, but men are infinitely more romantic. It is a big deal to us as men, generally more than it's the wife. I'm sorry, that's just the way it is. So wives, you have to understand this. And all men are wired a little different. All women are wired a different. This is not a dogmatic thing. It is a general principle thing. And let me show you exactly how this works. Look at the job description up here. God's designed for marriage. See it? The husband is to lead and to love, and the wife is to submit and respect. Watch how this works. Look carefully. If the husband wants to lead, that's his role, and the wife doesn't submit and respect, he can't lead. Huh. If the husband doesn't love, the wife can't submit and respect. If the wife doesn't submit, the husband can't lead, and the husband can't love. Huh. If the wife doesn't respect, the husband can't love and has a tough time leading. Huh. What happened in the Garden of Eden? Say with me. What happened there? Adam and Eve pristine garden, my glory, visiting with God every afternoon, walking with God, and all of a sudden, the snake comes. The snake comes. And what happened when the snake comes? He fooled Eve, made promises that he could not keep, and all of a sudden, Eve ate the apple. I know it wasn't an apple, we don't know, but just stay with me. Eve took a bite of the apple. What happened to Eve? Eve did not fulfill her job ascribement. She was not submissive, and she was not respecting. She just did. What a tremendous decision Eve made without even consulting Adam. Follow me, ladies. To rebel against God? That's the reason we're in the mess we're in right now, every one of us, right there. What a colossal, gigantic decision. She didn't let Adam lead, and she didn't let Adam respect. Right, ladies? Well, what about Adam? Where was Adam? Adam was not there. He wasn't loving. No, no. He, he was absent without leave. Was he on the other side of the garden playing golf? I don't know. But he didn't fulfill his job description, did he? He was supposed to be there as a leader and a lover. He abdicated his role as a husband. She abdicated her role as a wife, and as tremendous decision was made, 
that affects every person here in this place and every person in the world, and they did not follow the prescription for marriage that God had given. If they had, man, every woman here, a snake comes, they're going to call for help. Hey, Eve was, hey, hey, Adam. But she didn't, and he was not there. So we have a double sin there, and the curse has been on ever since. You see what I'm saying? This job description you have, ladies, and this job description you have as men is all important in every area of life. When a marriage is alive and growing and dynamic and beautiful, do you notice how everything else in life seems to flow together? Whether it's a crisis or a blessing, it all flows together when that husband and wife are living up to their job assignment that God has given, and they have the Holy Spirit inside of them that enables them to live it out as naturally without trying. and work. It becomes a natural flow of life. You know, if you didn't know better, you'd think God has given us good instructions, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. Wives. Wives, submit. Submit and respect your husbands. Lead and love. Member of our church, he's seated right there. I won't call his name, but his initials, Raph Hull. Raph is sitting right there. He sent me this week a little clip from somebody who's teaching on this passage in a Bible study atmosphere. And he's talking about, you know, performer for marriage. Remember, lead, you leave, you cleave, you become one flesh, intimate, and you're both naked. Remember the passage? Very vivid in the Bible. You're both naked and there's no shame. This pastor was talking about job assignments, or this teacher, and he stood up and he read a long list of what husbands are to do, their role. They are to love, they're to be kind, they're to be forgiving, they're to be communicators, they're, they're to be sacrificial, they're to, a long list. I mean, a list this long of the role of the husband. And then he got to this point and he said, the role of the wife is, is very simple. Get naked and bring food. <laughs> and then he said, food is optional. Now, that's a little crass, but it fits exactly in the biblical perspective here of what we're talking about. Wives, empowered by the Spirit, submit to his leadership, to his love and respect Honor your husband and wives. Guess what will happen? Guess what will happen? One day, your husband will come home and you will hear him singing. Wise men say, <laughs> only fools rush in. But I can.
will not sing that well. Your husband will not sing that well, but that's what he'll feel in his heart. 